This week's episode of On Comedy Writing is brought to you by Worry Parker. After a while, every podcast has a massive, huge reveal. For Serial Season 1, it was the Best Buy call. For Serial Season 2, it was the fact that Bo Bergdahl is a real name and it's actually spelled that way. Well, for On Comedy Writing, it's that I wear glasses. And glasses cost too goddamn much money. A pair of glasses can cost hundreds of dollars or, in terms that we understand, two sessions of an eight-week UCB class. Well, here comes Worry Parker. Worry Parker was found with a rebellious spirit and a lofty objective, to offer designer eyewear at a revolutionary price while leading the way for socially conscious businesses. Worry Parker's woke. They're the woke men. All right, you're not going to see Worry Parker get a hashtag me too'd. <laughs> Is that joke in poor taste? Well... Uh, I'm sure the people at Warby Parker will tell me that in two weeks. Every ID starts with a problem. Ours was simple, and by ours I mean theirs. Glasses are too goddamn expensive. We were amazed at how hard it was to find a pair of great frames that didn't leave our wallets bare. That's right, I always pay cash when I buy glasses. Well, the eyewear industry is dominated by a single company that has been able to keep prices artificially high while reaping huge profits from consumers who have no other options. Name the company, Warby. By circumventing traditional channels, designing glasses in-house, and engaging with the customers directly, Worry Parker is able to provide higher quality, better-looking prescription eyewear at a fraction of the going price. Almost 1 billion people worldwide lack access to glasses, which means that 15% of the world's population cannot effectively learn our work. That's very sad. To help address this problem, Worry Parker partners with nonprofits like VisionSpring to ensure that for every pair of glasses sold, a pair is distributed to someone in need. Well, I think that's great, you know? I have uh, Tom's shoes, um, which I'm told do the same thing. Well, Warby Parker has prescription glasses and sunglasses for both men and women. I used to have prescription sunglasses, and I, now I don't because it was weird. So this is the big thing. Warby Parker allows you to pick out five frames from their collection, and Warby Parker will ship their selection to you for free so you can try them on in the comfort of your own home. That's five frames that they'll freaking ship to you, right? And then you got five frames to pick from. And then I presume you have to send four back? Or maybe you get to keep the five, you know? These are questions for the Warby Parker fact, not for me. To try on your glasses today, go to boardwalkaudio.com slash warby. That's boardwalkaudio.com slash warby. This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. On comedy writing... Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast about the business and craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. We've got a great episode, but first, the best way to support this show is by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash oncomedywriting. Click the supporter artist button and shop on Amazon like you normally would, and we get a little kickback. This is an episode I recorded a while ago. I think in the first... Uh, a couple of minutes, it becomes clear that this was recorded right after Charlottesville in, uh, like, July or August. Uh, I thought there was, like, audio problems with this, and there was, but I think I fixed it enough. And if you listen to On Comedy Writing, you're very chill with audio problems, but if it becomes very bad, let me know. Uh, but I think it's the On Comedy Writing standard. Um, and it's a great episode. Our guest this week is Dan Greger, who's written on How I Met Your Mother, The Comedian's Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. And Dan talks about being a founding member of Hammercats, the legendary NYU sketch team, going through development hell for a while. It's a very interesting part of the interview. And writing and directing his first movie, Most Likely to Murder, uh, which does not have a release date yet, but I think there's a good chance it'll come out this year. 
In short, great episode. I think you guys really like it. So here is Dan Greger. Uh, Dan, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, have we started? Yeah, this this is the beginning. Okay, okay. Before, <laughs> like, that wasn't the beginning. This is the no, beginning. this is this is now the start. Okay, all right, great. Uh, where are you from originally? I'm from uh, Long Island, New York. Uh, just found out that the uh, famous um, uh, neo-Nazi from the rally this weekend, um, the skinhead who was on all those Vice videos, who cried on the internet a day later. Did you see that guy? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so he's from uh, near my town, so great. Uh, Richard Spencer, you know, the Nazi that got punched? Uh-huh, yeah. He, he went to my rival high school. Oh, all right. So he really gave you a reason to hate that high school. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. That's great. Okay, congrats. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. So anyway, that's what's... I, know, I, was, <laughs> I just found that out. I'm from, yeah, I'm from Long Island, New York, and a lot of uh, people. Some were terrible, some were good. <laughs> Uh, were you interested in comedy at a young age? Yes, I was very interested in comedy at a very young age. <laughs> and, uh, yes, I, I liked it a lot. Uh, what kind of stuff were you watching? Um, I was watching, uh, like Looney Tunes and all the cartoons. I was obsessed mm-hmm. with cartoons. I didn't, I didn't sleep as a child, so I, okay. so I watched... My parents just put a TV like outside of my crib. Oh wow! And so like I really was cable guy, and I would, uh, I just would watch TV. I, I still kind of do this if there's a TV in the bedroom I'm sleeping in, like at a hotel or something, where like I can't sleep until my eyes like force themselves closed. Right. It's very unhealthy. Um, so, but I would watch like every show on Nick at Night and every sitcom, and uh, yeah, it was uh, I was a real TV addict. My sister, uh, she takes her iPad and just puts on like The Office constantly. Yeah. I, I, ever since I became an adult, I won't put a bedroom, uh, a TV in my bedroom because it's. I, I know I won't. I literally won't <laughs> sleep. So, yeah, it's something I don't do anymore. Uh, did you like perform any like comedy or theater at all growing up? Oh, um, uh, in high school, I like I discovered doing like like the the high school sketch team and, oh okay uh, yeah and so i did that i mean and i mean the sketches were truly terrible i mean i i think someone showed me a script recently and it was like calling the teacher to say she looked like mrs like mrs peter pan really brilliant stuff like she had, uh, wait, i don't get it uh it was like meant to be like insulting i think because okay. she had like short hair Oh, I see. I don't know. It wasn't wasn't the best stuff. I've never heard of a high school sketch team. It was like part of like um the it was like twice a year they would put on like a I don't want to say a talent show as much as like it was called Cabaret Night. Okay. And so like there was like a dance team and there was a there was a bunch of people that there was a there was like the the jazz band would do like a big performance mm-hmm. and then and, and like there were singers. It was just like anyone who like had like talent they would they could perform but they rehearsed for like for months for it and so i was on the there was a comedy team as part of that and we would write sketches and host the show and stuff like that uh did you know what you wanted to do when you went to college no i didn't i didn't i went um i went and i was like i'm gonna be a lawyer or something and um and uh yeah and then at some point i just i i was like i'm kidding myself i went i visited a friend at nyu i went to brandeis university my freshman year in boston 
And then I visited a friend at NYU for a weekend and he took me to see UCB and I like had one of those like revelatory, like religious awakening moments yeah. where I was like, oh, this is what I want. And I like literally that weekend went back to Boston and I filed my transfer papers and went to NYU like almost right away. And oh, wow. from the first day I got to NYU, I, I signed up for UCB classes. So I started, I started UCB as like literally as soon as I could in college. What uh? What was that show that you saw? I saw Respecto Montalban. Okay, which is like classic team. Classic team. It was uh, Paul Shear and Rob Riggle and Rob Ubel and Donna Fineglass and Jackie Clark and Owen Burke and uh, Chad Carter. I'm trying to remember. Oh, oh, and um, ooh, this is like just trivia for me. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Anyway, all right. I'm gonna remember it halfway through and yell it out. <laughs> Um, so you started taking UCB classes like right when you got there? Yeah, yeah, I immediately. That was like my, my, the comedy, even though I like kind of like majored in like film writing or whatever, mm-hmm. um, I, I honestly, college was just an excuse to get mm-hmm. into comedy around New York. Let me move this mic just sure. slightly. There you just, go. I need to look at you. <laughs> this is, this is, this is good. Yeah, I need to see you. We're having a conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, can't, I can't just stare at the mic. <laughs> uh, so you're in New York. Uh, are you are you studying? Uh, what are you studying in your college? Um, I I transferred like still pretending with, to my parents that I was going to be a lawyer, but uh, so I was I, I started as like a the politics major, um, but I basically like started um, allow they getting them to allow me to take classes through the film school, and so I'm taking I'm taking you know dramatic writing I'm taking like intro to film all that stuff, mm-hmm. um, and then. And then I I was mostly just interning actually like I got internships at like The Daily Show and oh, wow. and uh, Michael Moore and another like film development company and so that was like my my into like a professional world that I was like oh okay those are jobs sort of out there that was my first job out of college was as a, a researcher on Fahrenheit 9/11 oh wow yeah what's what was that like. It was great. I mean, yeah. it was. I mean, it was. You know, it was an electric time, man. George Bush. We was the worst. And w. Fuck that. And so you know, but it was cool to like feel like a part of it. I was. I was. I like was doing that as a researcher. I actually ended up finding one of the stories that they produced, which was like the one about the the uh, border cop that like over the stretch of the Canadian border. There's like three policemen that that guard the entire Canadian border or something like that Mm -hmm. and so I I found that story and I was and that was the they ended up putting in the movie so I was like oh this is fucking awesome I'm like really getting (laughs) getting stuff like uh, into things which was a great feeling so that really kept me going and then I remember I I got to do that for I got hired as a researcher for um Robert Smigel was doing like a triumph like movie for the uh 2004 convention for the whole election in 2004 and um, I got hired as a researcher for that, and was like the best. I was so excited. Wow! And then, but it got the funding got pulled after like two weeks, and so I, was, oh, really? I lost my job. It's a real bummer. But um, but yeah, it was like so. Just I don't know. It was I, if you hate if you hate Republicans, then <laughs> it's a great place to work in the early two thousands. That's crazy that you used kind of your politics background to kind of get comedy jobs. Yeah, that was definitely like in my in my, high, my head when I started, I was like, I wanna I wanna be like Michael Moore or like uh, or John Stewart, and um, 
and you know i was like it kind of works <laughs> yeah like i got i literally got those work jobs working for them which was so exciting and awesome but then somewhere in there i was like oh the comedy is not changing anything let's just be funny right um and so when i was disillusioned at some point over the course of actually working in it i was like this is let's just be funny this is not worth trying to like change anyone's mind with comedy it's interesting because uh, I guess it's become there's been more political comedy since then, way yeah. more. Oh, absolutely, and no, oh, no, and like I, I mean, and I watch all of it, yeah. and like I love all of it, like Oliver and Samantha B. I mean, it, they're all great, they're all amazing, and they're super informative. But like, I have friends that write for like Adam Ruins Everything, which is a brilliant show, but they're doing so much work. It seems so hard. They're right. they're literally doing several research papers per episode. And, um, and I don't know if I'm like too lazy for it <laughs> or, or if I just kind of feel like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how you change people's minds, but I don't think it's comedy. Right. I, I would agree with you on that. And so. I, I, it's like a tough thing to even say that. Cause like, Oh, well thanks. Like, well, yeah, no, I mean, no good thing. I, yeah. I'm, and, and, and like, it's a weird thing. Cause it's like, I think John Oliver's doing something super important. Like I do think he's speaking to people that are informed and educated by him but he's not convincing new people. So, I mean, it's, it has a ton of value. Mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm doing. And I think Oliver, specifically, he's good when he does stuff like that net neutrality. Yeah, yeah. it's like kind of a deep dive on an mm -hmm. issue that no one really thought too much right. about. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely like where he's like really amazing. But mm -hmm. like when he's giving, you know, a, a monologue about Trump, mm -hmm. as smart and clever as he is, it's, it's you know, it's the area that 18 other late night hosts have been right. in for the week before. Uh, so when you're at NYU, are you doing any, like, the comedy stuff there? Yeah, yeah. So I've, like, like I said, from, like, the first day, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm signing up for UCB, but then simultaneously I was, um, I started a sketch comedy group called Hammercats. That, oh, okay, like the very famous, Oh, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's my group. I started Hammercats and I started, uh, Danger Box, which are still going to Oh, yeah, okay. Um, they're the improv troupe and the sketch troupe at NYU, and they, uh, and so, like, that became, like, my life. Like, my best friends are all from, from that period of, of, you know, doing Hammercats, and I met my wife doing that. Um, she became the director when I was graduating, and, um... And, uh, yeah, so, like, it just became really all-encompassing. It was, uh, school was, honestly, I had internships that I was getting credit for, and school was an excuse to just be in New York and doing, doing improv and doing sketch. And the best thing about being a college sketch or improv group in New York is that you're still performing at all the same venues around right, New York. So yeah. I was just getting really into the sketch and improv scene in New York while also you know, kind of coming up through the UCB kind of system and getting on some, like, you know, indie teams mm -hmm. and stuff like that. What, what inspired you to create that uh, college group? Because I'm sure that was kind of, like, difficult to do. Um, honestly, like, I don't, it, I don't want to say it was difficult. I, and I was I was one of a group of people right, that, yeah. that started it. But, like, it was just, like, we all, I'd say maybe a third of us had had some sort of, like, UCB background. Um, but just by background isn't like we took a couple classes and whatever and so we were like I know what game is mm -hmm. and that made us feel smarter than people and then we and so you just we just put up flyers and we're like yeah whatever, anybody <laughs> wanna that's it's all of this college right I mean it's every college activity is you put up a flyer people show up it's like it's not rocket science so um, yeah we just sort of put up flyers and people showed up and started auditioning and and just sort of formed groups out of that and mm -hmm. 
like really like just a you know that first class of of Hammercats people was me and Donald Glover and DC Pearson and Dominic Durkis and Lou Perez and Greg Burke from the Greg and Lou sketch team. My still to this day writing partner, Doug Mand, Fran Gillespie, who's writing for SNL. Oh, wow. Um, That's a lot of people. Dan Ekman. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was a great, great group of people. And so, um, and, and this guy, AJ Morales, who was a grad student, was uh, the original director, who was, a, he started a sketch group called Bear in Mind, which I also think is still around at, uh, I wanna say Arizona State. Um, so anyway, it was just one of those things that was like, yeah, we were just like doing sketch comedy and like learning it and, um, and having an endless amount of time. It was both having at NYU where we had truly an unlimited amount of stage time because we were the only group. And then even when we got picked up by UCB, we did like, we did the Skidmore Comedy Festival and Owen Burke and Donna Feinglass were like the hosts of the Skidmore Comedy Festival that year. Oh, that's weird. I know. And they saw us perform and they were like, do you want to, do you want to do, uh, do you want a show at UCB? And we were like, yeah. And like, so like when we were in college, we got picked up at UCB. UCB like literally had just moved into their, their current space at 26th Street in New York. So they had, you know, that stage was much bigger. They had more nights to fill. And so they were just like, I, I don't, they were just giving space away. And so we yeah. had an hour every week to do, you know, our, our old material and make, turn it into Whoa, great an material. an hour every week? We had an hour every week for a year. <laughs> oh my gosh. To do whatever, just to do like our, our best sketches, our new sketches, make our old sketches better, try new versions of our old sketches. It was, it was insane. And it was amazing because it, it's just one of those things where like, obviously there's no such thing as that type of stage time anymore at, a, at an established theater. Um, but UCB was like still young enough that it was like, yeah, we're just gonna, you know, they just need to fill the space. And there were eight of us, or at the time there was even more of us because we were like, had even more people in college. And so they were like, yeah, there's a bunch of them, they'll get friends. <laughs> Oh, wow. Which is like half basically true. I mean, we still had to fly her back then. Like, I mean, yeah, of still, course. I mean, yeah. still, you know, that was mandatory. If you had a show, you also had to be oh, right. out in the streets flyering, and they would print your flyers for you. That was like the that was like the big get. You were like, <laughs> we made it. They're like printing our flyers <laughs> for us, and uh, and so, but we would do that. That actually was something we got really excited about. We would turn that into um, into like sort of street theater. And okay. so we called our show like Reading is for Dicks, and then we would go to all the college libraries basically and protest reading, okay. and like yeah. and like just be like really like insane about it. And like people would like of soon, I'd say like a whatever a quarter of the people, ten percent of the people like would get that it was like basically like performance art, like kind of insanity, and they'd be excited. And like that was our audience of people that were you know into that type of comedy. And then, yeah, and they, you know, and so that's what we did. But it was just weird and fun. I, I doubt we got more than, you know, over the course of a year, like 30 people. <laughs> so you, you have a show every week at UCB. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, you're not doing, like, the exact same show every week. So, like, what, what are you, like, adding in there? Are you, like, just doing kind of um, new sketches or improv or? Yeah, like, we're, we're adding, I mean, that's, uh, yeah, exactly. Like, with an hour, we're doing, I'd say, like, we have, like, this core of, like, you know, six, seven, eight sketches that are fucking gold, right? They're great sketches. They always kill. And we're just like refining those and honing those. 
and people are, you know, and, and, and that's like definitely like getting attention. People are like, oh, these guys are really good. And then, uh, and then outside of that, we're like trying, you know, I'd say every week we're trying like a new sketch, maybe two new sketches. Um, we're, we're shooting films and we're, and we're showing new films, but we were also like super obsessed at the time of doing like a Mr. Show style kind of thing. So like everything fed in, in and oh, out okay, yeah. of, of itself. And so, or, and so anything that we did would have, would have been like, you would have to come, we were like, we've probably spent more time than anything, honestly, experimenting with transitions. Yeah. Just like, which is so stupid. <laughs> like truly like stuff that can only work in the most hyper specific context of like going from X sketch to Y sketch, just because that sketch like happens to be in that order in your lineup. Right. Uh, so completely useless stuff. Um, but it made us amazing performers, not to like brag. I just, it just got, you know, there's, there's no replacing reps. Right. Um, so it's just that, you know, we got our 10,000 hours that way, I think. What, what was like, uh, your favorite sketch that you, uh, wrote during that um, time? Um, uh, and then, oh yeah. And then seasonally we would do like specialty shows. So we had like a Christmas show or a Halloween show. And, oh, wow. um, and so we would do, um, I wrote a, I wrote a, uh, a Christmas sketch that I always really enjoyed that was like uh, we opened on um, the, the ass to ass uh, scene from Requiem for a Dream okay. um, and uh, and then we cut to the stage and uh, and every and, and we're basically like in an office and everyone is kind of like mortified and not talking and then uh, and then someone comes in and he's like uh, hey sorry I missed the Christmas party this weekend how'd it go <laughs> <laughs> and and that yeah there you go and then just sort of like running running through that yeah that always did well I mean, it was, it's you know a ton of stupid sketches yeah. so that must I mean you're talking about seasonal shows you guys must have been that must have been like a huge part of your life probably like the number one thing you guys were working on it's it yeah I mean yeah. like we were and we were if we weren't writing for stage or like doing fucking street theater we were doing we were shooting films and that was a big part of it I think we were also like in the first generation of people in in the comedy world that we're also going out and like making our own short films mm -hmm. and making video sketches um and so yeah that was like it was everything i mean really I, I i'm not not exaggerating when i say like i lived and breathed like sketch comedy for for most of my like late teens to like <laughs> mid 20s so uh did that stop when you guys graduated um no i'm mm-hmm no we um we were uh we we just continued doing it i mean we you know we graduated but we're like we're still gonna we still have a show we we basically we retired our our old show and that we'd been doing in college and we basically like wrote a new show and then pitched it to ucb and they were like great here you go and Again, they gave us an, like an hour for. They gave us a half hour for a year, and we shared <laughs> that. We shared that with Aziz, who was like just starting to do his one man show, and so we would do. I want to say like every every Saturday at, at like eight, we would do an hour. We'd do a half hour. Aziz would do half an hour, and um, we did a whole new sort of stuff, and that became. Yeah, and so we did that. Uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah. So I did that, and then we did. We all sort of splintered off into like smaller subset groups after that show and would do, you know, kind of each like Doug and I would do had a show called Bang My Dick Against a Wall that was like uh, sketches based around our dating life. Okay. And um, and 
so we would do that and then we like went out and we filmed that I yeah just just tons and mm-hmm. tons of sketch shows and sketch comedy and it was it was Maud was like hadn't even formed yet like Maud Night hadn't even formed yet at UCB so like it wasn't even it was just like yeah if you want to do sketch comedy you just you got to do it yeah like, there's no system for it that's crazy to think about because I mean it seems like that that's like so much work. I don't even know even if the stage time was available now if people would do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's and but that's how I mean I for for years I was like just like preaching that cuz like I love Mod Night, I've coached Mod Night, I've I've you know done all that stuff, but it's just it's uh you know, it's not it's not really yours. Right. It's it's Mod Night. And it's mm-hmm. the same thing with Harold Night. It's not really yours. It's Harold Night. And so um so yeah, like you just got to go make your own thing. Um and so, yeah, that was definitely, I mean, we were doing sketch and we were, you know, a popular enough kind of like group around New York that people were seeing us and we would, we would, you know, get called in for all of like the two meetings you could get in New York at the time, which was like, do you want to be a talking head at like best week ever? Um, <laughs> or like, or, or that, that's kind of it. Those were like, that was the only job you could get out of sketch comedy in New York at the time. Uh, but um, we were, so the same thing. We were just like, let's just. We'll just go out and make our own thing and 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 that's consistently been our ethos and my ethos is just go do your own thing you have, you're the only person that like can can make anything work for you um so we went out so uh doug and i and then our other really good friend adam pally who we kind of had like a side sketch group with um went and filmed uh uh like a pilot presentation just again like uh, with whatever we had like i was i was a uh, an assistant at HBO at the time, so I was like snuck in a bunch of people over the weekend. Oh wow! And like we filmed like in their offices and. Um, oh wow! Yeah, and so like and so we did that, but that was like our first big kind of break, where we we shot that we we you know put that together and then we ended up just literally sending it to anyone we'd ever met in the business and uh, but that was like assistants and like a couple agents or development people who might maybe saw us at a show or a festival and we and we just sent it to them and it, it like kind of caught fire and like it got passed around and we like before we knew it we had offers from abc and nbc for like pilot deals wow it was amazing it was like the most exciting thing and so we just from like a five minute pilot presentation thing yeah wow yeah that's incredible it was amazing it was like super exciting and so we um that was like our first big break, and once we did that, we like got representation off of it. I mean, at the, of course, at the time I, I it was like twenty three, and so I was like, "I'm gonna be famous!" Ah, fuck you, fuck you, I'm out of here. And like, and of course, I like didn't realize like, oh, like there's a billion pilots a year, let alone like a billion pilot scripts, let alone just even getting to film for them. So, but nevertheless, I mean, we turned that into like a foothold into like real work that that we had you know never really let up on. So you're you're 23. You just sold a pilot presentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's like that development cycle like on that show? Um, we end up signing with ABC, mm-hmm. and we go and we get we get signed by by CAA to represent us. It's super exciting. They take us out to Koi, and we're like, oh, I'll have the butterfish, and <laughs> uh, you know, life had never been better. Yeah, and um, and we went to. Um, and so we're developing it with them, and uh, they they actually assign us to work with uh, more seasoned showrunners as they should have. Mm-hmm. We had no fucking clue what we were doing. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, these guys, Gabe Sachs and Jeff Judah, who were writers on um, on Freaks and Geeks and Just Shoot Me, and um, they've written a ton of things. And um, and man, they like were they were just that that was the the you know professorship that we like probably should have gotten in college. So we really learned a ton about writing from them. Um, and the script still came out like shit. <laughs> in our heads at the time, we were like, it's great. It's iconoclastic. That's why it doesn't <laughs> seem like anything else they have. Um, and it was like, no, it doesn't seem like anything else they have because you guys are shitty writers. But nevertheless, they, uh, you know, so we developed it at ABC. And, and I think we were getting by on like a ton of just charisma. We were attached to Star in it. And, and oh, it, wow. Yeah, which is great. That's and, insane. Yeah, I know. But like, it's also like silly because. At the time, we were like, "That's amazing! We're gonna be stars, and we get our own show, and it's gonna be like Entourage." Like that was something to aspire to. And then, and then, uh, but what we didn't really realize at the time was that like there's literally zero chance that ABC was going to put on three no-name twenty-three-year-old right. comedians onto their network. I mean, like I think that year they literally picked up a show, like. I actually think it was it was a, the Sofia Vergara show where she like steals Mick Jagger's art. Yeah, I remember that show. Yeah, yeah. So D- Donnell Luke is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Donnell yeah. Luke or Don any Logue, any, yeah. pronu- any pronouncement is okay. <laughs> um, and wow, I remember that show. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So, but it was just like, what? What are we, they had Mick Jagger in the show? Right. Yeah. Like so, they. I mean, we're going up against literally Mick Jagger. <laughs> And so it was just, it was a total pipe dream that we didn't realize. But nevertheless, I mean, it was, it was great. I mean, we was, we, we got the, the lay of the land. We definitely like were able to like start really working, start making a resume for ourselves and a name. And, um, yeah. And like, we just kept kind of selling pilots and movie scripts for development for like forever after that. That was just like every, every year we'd kind of come out to LA for a couple months and sell a couple things and then wow. go home and try to write it and work on it and maybe go out. I mean, we were, and, but we were also going broke doing that because it was like, there were three of us. It was me and Doug and Pally. And so we were splitting every paycheck three ways. And we were like, then th- live, paying rent in New York for like three or four months a year that we weren't living here, it, it, there. And uh, yeah, and we were just like, it just was a really like, stupid it just didn't work mm-hmm. we had a great time doing it it was super fun like you know but and that was like the happiest time of my life but i also didn't realize like how fruitless of an endeavor it kind of was well it's so pr- professionally successful though selling multiple pilots mm-hmm. and, and scripts how, what, how would you like pitch in a room um i mean it helped so much to have like this performance background where mm-hmm. like you know first of all it helps to have par- partners basically scene partners because you're, you know, we're all improvisers, we're all comedians, so it's very like we're walking in and we're like ten times more alive than you know ninety five percent of the, the probably right. especially back then too. Yeah, oh man, like there's so many people at that, especially back then, which was like right before. Well, it was like right <laughs> we we got in the guild the the week before the writer strike of okay. two thousand and whatever eight, and um, and we and it was just one of those things where like. Where, you know, that's, and the people we'd met before that, you see, like, there were some people who were on overall deals who, who from, like, the, the golden days of, of overall deals, the Friends era, where, you know, it just by the act of having an episode of Friends, they literally, like, were going to be on an overall deal the rest of their lives. And you could see how little they cared. 
Um, and you know, I am, I'm not there yet. Uh, I haven't made friends money yet. So uh, one day, one day, hopefully. Um, but, um, yeah. And so I forget, I forget what I was saying, but, uh, just pitching in a room. Oh yeah. 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 The, so I'm ter- obviously I needed a script cause I, I don't remember anything. Um, yeah, we would do, um, we would just sort of be a lot more alive. We were super off book in a way that I think like some people don't do, which is crazy to me. Um, and I still to this day, I mean, like I'm, I still would consider like myself and my writing partner. And anytime we take a pitch out, like with anyone else, like very good pitchers because we we perform it, we look for jokes, we we keep it really active, and also we're good at. Um, Kind of improvising our way into the answers into you know you want to go into a pitch like having having it 80 percent figured out because you want that other 20 percent to sort of like fit into the the hot spots that the development executives are kind of like giving you mm-hmm. do you do you have like uh, anything scripted like do you have like notes in front of you or are you just kind of going off what you know i mean I, we we write super long well I, you know it depends on the show if it's a high concept show um you know, or like, I'm sorry, if it's like a very serialized show where it's very plot based, then yeah, we'll we'll outline a pilot beforehand. We'll have a, a, a pretty clear arc of the season. Uh, if it's something a little less less like plot based, um, we'll we'll maybe do a little less. and It'll be more about like the characters and mm-hmm. the world. Um, well, do you bring do you bring that all in with you? No, nothing. Okay, you should have it memorized. I, that's super important. Yeah, you, if you have to look down, you're ruining your momentum. You're ruining right. your energy. Memorize it. Memorize it. Be able to like improvise within it, like never bring note cards into a room. Mm-hmm. It's super lame. Another thing I was thinking about recently is like, are you supposed to have like a visual component to your pitch? We would have we had that in certain things. I mean, look, I, I, the first uh, the first two shows I sold were were based off of things we went out and filmed because I had you know I I worked in development enough when I first got out of college to see like how the people are actually like consuming project projects that are coming in and they hate reading so like they don't they don't read they don't even like pitch packets they you know they just if there's something to watch they'll watch it mm-hmm. and so um so yeah like if i was always hopefully priming the pump with film first like a piece of tape that they could watch and be like oh, okay i i get what they're trying to do because um, it's a lot it's just a lot easier to explain yourself that way um, but even when I don't have tape, um, uh, yeah, like I've come in, like I, I've had a show that I sold to, um, I sold to Fox a couple years ago that was like, the premise was sort of like, uh, it was, I was leaving How I Met Your Mother and, and it was, and so they were like kind of just wanted like How I Met Your mother things. And so it was like a 20, 30 something kind of coming of age friend group thing. Right. And, um, and uh, and so the, the framing device we had on that was um, that it was sort of it was called the Great War of Adulthood, and we would sort of talk about it as like the the rival factions of like the the civil war between like your youth and your like adulthood, and so it was like all couched through this sort of narrated metaphor um, that was like a Ken Burns documentary, and so we came in with like a Ken Burns documentary. Oh, wow. Um, and like, which, and had an iPad and we would show like some of the Ken Burns stuff and then, but like replace it with our own kind of narration um, just to like give them a visual of, of that. So, I mean, 
Yeah, it worked. It was. It went well. I mean, that like yeah. uh, gimmicky stuff like that can go either way. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it's overdone. Um, but um, you know, you just just you want to have something that like is a little bit. I'd say the biggest hardest thing about pitching is like getting them to turn like the light behind their eyes on right in the beginning, and so like you know it's very easy to like you know, whatever it, it it becomes at some point very easy to get a just get a meeting, but like you just see like when they don't care anymore, mm-hmm. like when they stop, when when you've never really made them interested in the first place. So it's like really important like out of the gate just to have something or do something. That gets them laughing, gets them hooked in intellectually is what you're talking about. So that's, I don't know if that answers No, that. yeah, definitely. Uh, so you're you're selling these shows, uh, but you're kind of stuck in like a development cycle that's not leading anywhere. Yeah, exactly. And so we're doing that for, for uh, we're doing that for like five years. Wow, it's a long time. It's a long time. And so we're like, every year we're selling a couple things that sold a bunch of pilots and movies and it was... Again, paying my bills, but like super unsatisfying because we're like just not really making anything. And, and do you know like when you're selling it, like do you have a, do you think this? Oh, this one's gonna get made, or is it at almost... every single one, I'm yeah. convinced this is it. Yeah, yeah. because you know like, uh, and then you write it, and you're like, man, this is great writing because you believe in yourself and you like what you're doing, and you're uh, you know when you invest all that time and energy into writing something, it comes alive, and it, and hopefully it comes alive for other people, but it definitely comes alive for you. And so every single time I'm like, this is great. I mean, it's got to go. And, uh, and every time it doesn't or every time it like just sort of like fizzles out. I mean, movies are even worse than TV because like they literally, they don't even die. They just sort of like, they just stop calling you back. <laughs> and you're like, what happened to it? And they're like, uh, we'll talk to you soon. And that soon never comes. And so, uh, and so yeah, I, I have definitely like, I'm feeling like, oh, this is not going to work. And so uh, somewhere in there, um, uh, well, like around the same time, I'm trying to remember the exact, but anyway, Pally, Doug, Doug and I are doing our sketch show about like dating in New York and, uh, we decided to go out and film it as like a pilot presentation and we're like, ah, whatever. Like, like I said, they're sketches, but they're all unified characters doing sketches that are all have a similar enough point of view. And so we film it and then, um, we take it to the New York TV festival and uh, IFC sees it there, and they they offer to buy it, and um, and develop. And we're like, awesome, great! Like this is that'd be perfect. And um, so we're we're starting to develop it there. Um, when we're lucky enough to have our agents, we we'd never uh, tried to staff on a TV show before, just because it, especially as a three people, was just not going to happen. Yeah, it's crazy. It doesn't. Yeah, yeah, I know. And so, but at that time, like Pally was. Uh, had just sold a sketch show for himself as like the star of to E, which again was like it was like an entertainment sketch show, and we wrote wrote a bunch of we were on the writing staff for that for that with some other people, um, and but it, so we were all sort of like just like whatever work was coming in, you, you take it, and so Doug and I, our agents, unbeknownst to us, uh, submitted our IFC pilot to How I Met Your Mother, and they read it there and like just by fucking luck they they all had like you know that show was about being single in new york but by the time like we got hired nobody on the show had like lived or been single <laughs> in new york for like a decade right and so they're like we really desperately need like people who can actually tell 
like New York dating stories again. And so we, so they read our script, which was like all about New York dating stories from a very like sketchy comedic place, but still, you know, true, true in that regard. And they hired us. And so we got hired for our first like big network gig off of that. And that was, you know, a huge sort of turning point. Like, you know, in our heads, we were fucking brilliant. But, like, we, you know, nobody was taking us, like, you know, nobody was taking us half as seriously as, like, we, we probably needed to be until after How I Met Your Mother. So so you didn't, your agent submitted without you knowing. Yeah. When you got hired, were you, like, immediately were you like, yes, let's do this? Or was there, like, a point where you had to think about it? We had to, it was, I mean, I remember, like, um, we, because we had to, Turned, we had to sort of throw away the IFC pilot deal okay. for it. Um, and so there was like a moment where I was like, ah, oh, that's a bummer. Like, I really love this show. I really believe in this. But, you know, like, I mean, you accurately, you accurately surmise that like after five years of like trying and failing, uh, like we were ready to try something new. Mm-hmm. And so we were like, I think, because it just felt like, you know, we're selling these shows. Like we're good enough in a room that like people... There's a certain amount that's like undeniable that they're buying in the room because they're laughing and they like the ideas. But what the wall we're hitting is that they're not taking us seriously once we're further in development. That they're like, yeah, they liked us when we walked in the door, we made them laugh, but like, why does this project have like the pedigree that they care enough to like keep pushing and put their put their names on the line? Because everyone in that side is so risk averse that, you know, it's a lot easier to say like you know yes if someone has a ton of background that they can like also claim like well I, how could i not say yes to this person they they did that show or the show that's already a success so yeah um yeah that's the end of my sentence uh were, were you prepared to work like in a writer's room like with like a no no <laughs> i mean like i mean like i i had done you know i mean no it, it, i'd say ucb and sketch comedy prepared me so well like as well as anyone can be prepared for that gig, um, in some ways better than like even being a writer's assistant, just because I was so used to like riffing and building on ideas and and like and and just and pitching really. I mean that's improv basically is just is pitching on your feet. So I was I was good at that, and my writing partner Doug was great at that, and and um, and we so I, I was prepared in that way, but. Um, but I truly didn't appreciate until I was like in it how insanely talented and skilled these people are. You know, in my mind, it was like eh, network comedy, like easy, like you know, who this stuff's garbage, and like, and uh, and you know, and I have you know, it took me, it took me very, very little amount of time to realize like, oh, these are like world class talented people that are doing this, and. Um, you know, and they're, and yeah, it, it takes a lot of work to be that good. Not just talent, but like work and training. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and, you, and you joined the show, like you said, it was, in the, it was like in the middle of its run. Was it like season six? Or season uh, five? Six, uh, yes, six. Uh, what was that like, joining like a established show? I mean, I think I came in and on like within the second week, we got a two-year pickup. And it was like, oh. Jesus Christ, like that's amazing. Like, you know, it's one of the, you know, that's that's already two year pickup on a twenty four episode show. It's a, it's a lot of it's a lot and it's but it's great. It doesn't happen. I felt super lucky that there was this that I was getting invited into this uh, kind of like really established world. I was a big fan of the show too, like going in. So it was a kind of job where I was like, This is amazing. Like I I I've loved this show for a long time and um and so this is amazing that I'm getting to do this. Um, yeah, 
Again, what, what well, yeah, joining like in the middle of the the run. Oh like... yeah, no, I mean like uh, there was uh, there was a certain amount of like new kidness, but and and I started with um, there was uh, two other staff writers that were uh, the writer's assistant and like executive assistant that were that were bumped up as a writing team to writers the same year as uh, as Doug and I joined as you know just from being out in the world and. Um, and uh, and I remember when I started, I was like really afraid they were like gonna fucking haze us. They were gonna shit on us. They were gonna hate, just hate us basically. And um, and and I couldn't have been more wrong. They they literally have turned into our best friends still to this day. Like they're uh, yeah, Gerard and Zidman. Uh, I just want you to know if you're listening, I love you. Uh, what what was it like um, breaking story? Um. That that was honestly, I'll say that was the biggest education. Right. Uh, joke writing is this fun thing where it's like you know you 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 learn that too. It's a muscle, um, but um, but story breaking is is like a fucking uh, it's like a delicate like art science, and um, and that that was something where I truly realized like I was in awe of some of these people who who had been doing it for so long and you know we had writers from like arrested and 30 rock and fraser and you know just unbelievable caliber of writers there um sister sister uh so you know the big time (laughs) um and uh and so we yeah we just sort of like we learned a ton especially when you're a staff writer like you sort of are at least in like some rooms you, you should sort of sit back and like learn um and that depends very much on like where and what show. Um, but in this room, it was one of those things where it was like everyone was super supportive and complimentary, and you know included us in everything. But it was also easy enough as a staff writer to just like chime in with a, like uh, mm. small ideas here and there. Um, but you know, over the course of being there, we broke a hundred episodes of TV, and so you know it's kind of it's insane. You you once you've done it enough, you're like oh like there's it's it is reps and you're you're learning you're learning by doing you know you're constantly problem solving you're constantly switching out pieces and sometimes sometimes it's like for good plot reasons sometimes it's just because like your boss comes in and just they had a bad day and they're like i hate this and they throw it away and and then you're like all right let's just do it again like um you know and that's just normal that's like a normal part of the part of the job uh so like is is like a series long arc is that usually made by like the showrunners and then it's kind of like everyone kind of fills in the gaps in between or is that kind of a whole room thing every every show's different yeah. um uh at how your mother we would co- they'd come in with they'd come in with like big broad story ideas yeah. for the season um you know and uh and where yeah, and like, and then we would sort of fill in the specifics, and then the truth is, like, you get halfway into the season, and the reality starts taking on a different shape because things are working. Things are a lot of the times you find yourself honestly. The thing you find more than anything is that is that stuff that you wanted to stretch out over a season becomes super repetitive and boring if you let it, and so all of a sudden you you by necessity just start burning through plot points faster than you anticipated Mm -hmm. and so you know all of a sudden you're like oh we've already done you know whatever this i'm I'm trying to remember like how many other plot points uh you know (laughs) we've already done marshall can't decide if he wants to move to rome um (laughs) so that uh yeah and then 
and yeah, and you would do that for for a certain amount of time, and uh, yeah, and then I don't know, but but every show is different. I've been on mm-hmm. a, enough shows now that it's just like the showrunner sets the sets the page, sets the tone, and um, and does you know, and you sort of work around that. It's it really is all about like servicing their workflow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, How I Met Your Mother was a show where they had like in the pilot episode they teased like the ending of the show, mm-hmm. the series. Yeah. So by the time you came in season six, did they already like know exactly what how they were gonna end it, or is that kind of something that evolved over time? Well, I mean, uh, what am I allowed to say? <laughs> um, uh, I mean, the most reviled uh, finale of all time, probably. <laughs> I don't, I don't know about that. Eh, it's up there. Um, <laughs> and uh, but it was one of those things where yeah, they had a plan for the finale uh, from the middle of season one. They, wow. They, okay. They planned that, and it was a little out. Of, Half out of creativity, half out of necessity, because those the kid actors were growing. Right. Yeah. And they were like, "Oh, if the show keeps going, these kids won't be kids anymore, and we can't use them. So we need to, if we want to use them in the ending, we need to write it now." And so they kind of had this idea of killing the mother. Did I just spoil it for you? You knew that. I did. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And so they had this idea of killing the mother in season one, Um, but you know, I mean, it was it was almost a decade later when they when they actually had to execute that. And there was, you know, a ton of debate over if they were going to stick with that and or not. And, you know, just it was a, it was a very hard decision. Um, you know, uh, perfectly fair to suggest that, it, you know, maybe they, they were better options. But, um, but they, they had an idea and they stuck with that idea. And um, I, I respect them for it. Did, did they film that in season one? Oh, yeah. I, didn't, I missed that. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, they, no, I mean, they didn't film all of it. They filmed, uh, they filmed like, big, important parts. Anything that involved the children, mm-hmm. they filmed in season one. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Huh. So, I mean, it's cool, right? Yeah, that's cool. I mean, it is cool. Yeah. I, I mean, but it just, nobody liked it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, so, after having your brother, you worked on The Comedians. Yeah, I went right to The Comedians, which was, like, this totally weird, different thing, which was, um, and that was one of those things where, like, Billy Crystal and Larry Charles were wrote in the room with us like every other day. Wow! And so that was like I was just like, well, we got to do this. Like, how do we how do we not spend spend like of our you know a season like sitting in a room with Billy Crystal and Larry Charles? What's Billy Crystal like in a, in a writer's room? Honestly, I, I'll say this: both of them are so fucking funny. I mean, I I mean, I know that it's a weird like thing to say, um, because it's Billy Crystal, so like yeah, he's funny. Like, but it I don't know. It's it's He's he is genuinely funny, and he's he, you know he's he is Billy Crystal for a reason. He you know he's been funny for about as long as anyone's been funny, and uh, yeah, he's a, and he's a super nice guy. He really is like just a uh, he's a mensch. He's a mensch. That's a great way to say it. And Larry Charles probably was an even bigger delight because Larry Charles is someone that I have idolized my whole fucking career and um curb your enthusiasm herb and seinfeld, seinfeld yeah. and borat he's the director of borat yeah, yeah. the showrunner of seinfeld and or the number two on seinfeld after after uh larry david he's the the director of a ton of curb and uh yeah no i mean he's a fucking genius um and that was one of those things where i was like i would give anything to like spend some time with this guy and um and and but it, I don't know if you can place him in your mind's eye, but he's like a, an eccentric looking guy. Like he's got mm. crazy, almost like orthodox Jewish beard, 
He always wears sunglasses. He basically like wears pajamas everywhere. Um, he's uh, he like he looks like a maniac. Um, and so like he, and he's and he's got a he's got a kind of crazy reputation too. So I was like, what's it gonna be like? What's it gonna be like? And I swear he was just like the sweetest like nebbishy Jew you've ever met. He just wanted to like talk about like. Brooklyn Dodgers baseball, <laughs> like, he really, like Jackie Robinson. Yeah, exactly. Like he just he, he that's him and Billy were like really ended up being really good friends because they loved connecting over like New York in like the fifties and sixties. <laughs> and anyway, and so he was he was great and like yeah, these guys are. I mean, they're they're. It, it was both like humbling because it was like man, this is. Am- I mean, these guys are legends. They've done, you know, to do one great thing is it's amazing and hard and rare. And but to be a part of like several like classic pieces of work is is really something else and so uh, but also it was it was great because like they're they're people i mean and that was really inspiring because it's just like yeah like i mean they're amazingly talented uh and super hardworking, but they're they're just really are just like normal people so it does make you feel like yeah yeah i mean like that's and it's available to anyone who who puts the work in what was the difference in writing for uh cable versus uh network um Besides, I guess episode orders is probably the big one. That's, I mean, that's that's the by far the biggest, and also we didn't do any uh, overlap of of writing and production. So I mean, that's a big oh, thing when okay. you're in, in network TV. The overlap is is grueling because you're all of a sudden there's this fucking like machine that's just eating your work, and like you can fall behind so easily, and all of a sudden like those deadlines are very intense. Um, whereas in cable, like there, you know, they it's a lot more rare. Um, especially when the actor and director are like literally in the room because they need prep time and they can't overlap, and so um, it's just a lot more rare to have that overlap. And it just it it provides a ton more just ease of of writing, and it's not easier. I just mean like the atmosphere is less like you know crazy inherently. Is there is there like a page difference in in network scale? Um. Not, not really. Uh, I mean, I know, like, if you're at Netflix or whatever, you know, those are literally longer episodes. Um, I, I, I guess I want to say, like, the episodes on network at this point and even back then were already under 22 minutes. And I think cable is still, like, at 2230. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, those are minuscule differences, but uh, not really. And every show kind of counts their pages differently, too, if you're mm-hmm. in single or multicam or right. hybrid or... Anyway, it's really boring. And uh, you were recently working on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I'm still part-time on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend oh, okay. as a writer. Um, and, um, yeah, that's uh, that's um, what I've been doing since season one of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I've been a part-time writer on that show, which has been great and, like, a real joy. And, um, yeah, that's a whole new kind of experience. Yeah, so in that show, I assume you're not doing the musical numbers, right? That's all? Um not much I mean like I I directed a lot of Rachel's videos before the show um and um you know and I I I will help out on on music videos and stuff and definitely like I'll go to set a lot for music videos because I I have you know a good track record with Rachel of like making them um but uh but no I um there's a there's a music writing team Rachel and this guy Jack Dolgen, who's um, who was her music producer before. He's now both the music producer and writer on the show. And this guy Adam Schlesinger, who um, wrote that thing you do, and oh, okay. uh, he's sort of like the world's best sort of like 
he was the uh, the wrote all of uh, Fountains of Wayne. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. So he's like a he's a big success, and so mm-hmm. but anyway, he but he he is now I I want to say like Hollywood's like go to kind of like songwriter, um, and we're very very lucky to have him. Um, and the three of them basically in some form or another write like ninety five percent of the songs. Um, the the writers room will like often like come up with a concept or a premise and and hand it off to them and they'll work with that and but sometimes they'll come up with it on their own the the songs are always built directly not always but like most of the time 80 percent of the time 80 90 percent of the time are built out of plot so the writer's room has to sort of like coalesce around a plot and then and then song concepts will come from the character point of view of where they are within that plot mm-hmm. uh so you know sometimes like i said the writers will have an idea that just like jumps out from where they are in the plot and other times like rachel or um or jack or adam or aline the showrunner um will like be like i want to do something like this i want to do a song in this vein off of this emotion in the story did uh did she use any of the songs that she had before the show mm. Like in season one or all? Uh, the only one, I'm proud to say, is one that I wrote with Rachel and Jack uh, for a Hanukkah album that we made uh, before the show happened. Uh, called, the album was called Suck It Christmas. Yeah. Um, and the song is called the song was called uh, Think About All the Dead Jews. Okay. Yeah. Um, and we obviously had to change the name of that to uh, Remember That We Suffered. Um <laughs> Much more PG. Yeah, a little more, a little more PG. But it, it, the song actually got better. But it's it's uh, fundamentally the same song, um, and and I want to say that is the only one that has like survived the gauntlet of of you know the bar of of connecting us the song to the plot is pretty high, mm-hmm. and so Rachel's songs are before the show are amazing and they're super funny, but they're like it's it's kind of rare when something like easily hooks into the plot mm-hmm. well because like uh before those were just like basically there's like a game of the song yeah they were so they were self-contained they were thing. song sketches basically mm-hmm. where it's like here's a comedic premise or uh, a take on a genre of music um and and now let's do a you know a song around it um yeah whereas and we still do that it, mm-hmm. um we do a lot of that and which is why i think the show like the songs are so good on the show is that they they have a nice varied kind of feel they're not like it's not Broadway where like every song is comp- so intensely plot driven, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know. But it's not also Flight of the Concords where it's like you know where I mean you remember if you watch that show which I love that show, but like you know half of those songs were like total tangents from the right. story and you're like it, they be- it started feeling like a like a weight on the episode because you're like why are we watching a song about like I don't remember I don't whatever yeah. but it was just it was they were a waste of time and you could feel it. And so, anyway, it's just, it's that mix of, like, when something, something can just be silly and funny, but it has to be, like, a, still really within the story. I was going to say, like, Fire the Concords, the reason why I think they stopped doing the show is because they uh, ran out of material. Yeah, I mean, season one, they... It was all songs that they Yeah, it was almost done. entirely their catalog mm-hmm. of, like, a career's worth of, right. like, song comedy. And, and man, they were like the funniest thing in the world. I saw them so many times when they came to New York around then, and like, I was obsessed with them. And but they burnt through it all in season one, and then season two, they started writing new songs for, yeah, the show. But they they were like, uh, we can't do it. We can't keep up. So I mean, I will say like, I mean, I think Crazy Ex Girlfriend is a great show, like in many respects. But I think that like, 
the stuff that we're doing with songs is like is actually like really like once in a lifetime special and the the quality that we're keeping as we like churn out i want to say they're i think they're like gonna have like over a hundred songs by the end of they're already over a hundred songs it's crazy it's like it's entering its third season yeah and like Tenacious D, even them, they did like all their own material. They did all yeah. their material, and that mm-hmm. was like one season. Finally, coming yeah. up to two seasons, so already right. doing all new material. You're gonna like over. Yeah, exactly. Wow, I know it's it's a crazy bar, and I mean, Jack and Rachel and Adam have created this machine that is like it's once in a lifetime, like amazing what they're doing. How, how does like um, I can well, if a song is like this certain X long. Then do you have to like cut around the song to like make things work for the episode? Um, you know, I mean, with this show, but honestly, every show on TV, like y- you write. I think our scripts usually come in at like forty-two, forty-four pages for an hour long, which is, I mean, I guess that is like appropriate for minutes. But like the truth is, your first cut of of everything is way too long, and right. so, you know, it's it, it's. There's just so many things you're you're gonna end up with a first cut that's an hour anyway. So like, finding a couple things to cut here or there is irrelevant to mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Uh, and you recently wrote and directed a feature. Yeah, I just finished a movie for Lionsgate um, that I wrote with my writing partner Doug, and I directed it myself. And Doug was in it, and Rachel was in it, and Adam Pally was in it. They, uh, so it was a nice, really great, yeah. like kind of like coming together of like. You know the last decade of our of our lives in comedy. How, how did uh, how did that happen? How did that movie come about? Um, that was a movie that like we, you know, when we were f- honestly when we were finishing How I Met Your Mother, just like four years ago, I guess now maybe something like that. Um, we were we just so in, so felt the need to like do something just for ourselves and not necessarily like, you know so tv rigid which is like you know great and it's wonderful to work in tv but also it's just very rigid and it's a it's a real day job you know you're really there um and so we were just very insistent that we do something that we can just really make our own and and um so we wrote this movie that was like you know we knew was low budget enough that even in the worst case scenario like i could like strong arm my parents into letting me use their house and so um so yeah, we just we wrote it and we then honestly we probably spent two years like sending it to actors and and like then and pitching it to financiers and um, and it was like it was you know nobody was really interested frankly and then um, and then eventually we got we got uh, Sony to make us a truly terrible offer like something that was like. We were. I want to say they offered us like five hundred thousand dollars or six hundred thousand dollars, which is like a nice number, but it's not realistic. Yeah. Um. You know. And again, like I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I, I. I. I was gonna sign it too. I mean, that's the thing. Is like I was truly like ready to sign this deal because I was just like I. I gotta make this movie. I care about it. I need to do something for myself. Um. And uh, and I just happened to be. Doug and I happened to be taking a, a general meeting with Lionsgate um, on like a Wednesday of like some week in in like December, you know, last year, and we um, and we and we were like walking out of the meeting for I think the Monopoly movie is what we were like pitching on, and <laughs> we were walking out of the meeting, and um, 
and the guy just making conversation was like, oh, what else are you guys working on? And we're like, oh, we're about to sign this deal um, with Sony for an, for an indie movie. And, and literally, we were going to sign it like in a day or two. And because um, the contract had like just come in. And, uh, and he was like, oh, really? And we just started an indie division. Would you give us the weekend to read it? And we were like, Duh, okay, yeah, sure. And like, so we gave him the script. And like, within like, they read, everyone in their department read it that weekend. Like, within three days, they had made us an offer that was like four times as much. Wow. Yeah. And so it was amazing. I mean, it was like complete night and day. Cause again, like, that's not like, an insane amount of money but it's a it all of a sudden it was like oh we really have the money to make this now for real mm -hmm. and so um we just rushed into development rachel uh had you know had just finished shooting and she was gonna be off for a couple months and pally had just finished filming making history and um and uh the timing just sort of worked out we were like let's go do this and it was it was a, it's a new york winter movie so also we were like we got to do it before it stops being cold <laughs> and so or you know and so we we there was enough kind of like just rocket fuel behind it to like get it going quickly mm -hmm. and that just made all the difference we were like i said we we probably signed that contract we probably got that offer in december and we were f we were in pre-production by february um so it was oh, wow. it was crazy yeah. Yeah, it was super fast. Why do you think uh, this movie got made rather than like all the pilots and movies you pitched before? Oh, oh I can't look that deep into my soul. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I I I'm primarily feel like uh, luck. Mm -hmm. Um, I I I think this movie's fucking great, but I also think that like there's like, you know four or five other things that I've written that I think are equally great. Um, so there's a certain amount of just, like, luck. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, like, it just was the right time and right place. I, I, there's no other... Luck is the wrong term, but but it, there's a... You know, it's just like when, when preparation meets opportunity kind mm -hmm. of thing, and it, the thing we had done was right for the moment. I, I don't know, man. Yeah. <laughs> Once you uh, sign that deal... Is, is the script get changed widely? Is it still pretty much no? The same? It's like almost verbatim, like what yeah. we, what we sold them, and and like there, I guess there could have been a world where they would have uh, futzed with it more, but we just were like, we don't have time. Like just yeah. we're if we're gonna film this, we gotta go, and so they didn't they didn't change anything. We're we're locking sound right now. I mean, we're not. It's not even done yet, but it's um, but we're you know, but they've been amazing and fantastic and like super supportive and like hands off where where needed and hands on when needed and they've been great uh did you immediately know you're gonna direct it yeah that was a big part of like yeah. what uh we've been selling you know just that doug you know when we you know i mean this oh, like when, when we got hired for how Met your mother i think doug was like just like was one of the last couple people to get uh a call back to like be the star of like an amy heckerling movie and oh, like, okay. and it was like, and Doug, Doug's a great actor. He's super funny, and uh, you know, I mean, like I said, we're we're all from the same sort of like multi hyphenate background of like writing and acting and directing and editing, and and so uh, you know, I I have much more interest in being behind the camera. I don't really care to be an actor, and so I call myself the uh, the least successful offer only actor in Hollywood. Um, <laughs> I'll only I will not audition, um, but. Um, so anyway, so uh, yeah, when when this was sort of coming back together for the movie, we were um, we were we were just very consistently being like, 
we want to make this movie. We want your money. We, we're going to get all, as many of our, like, cool comedian friends as we can in this movie. And, like, we'll get, you know, other great things about it. But it has to be, Doug has to be this one part. And I have to direct it. Um, and that was kind of the, the, the promise we made to ourselves that like, even, even if people liked the script and might have wanted to buy the script, we weren't going to sell it unless we could mm-hmm. do those things. Uh, so you're still in the process of, of finishing the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's that process like? Does it feel very slow? Does it feel very fast? Yeah, it's an, I mean, I'll admit like at this stage, it's so fucking boring. Yeah. <laughs> like, like your editing is, I love editing. I mean, editing is, uh, laborious mm-hmm. and it's, it's time consuming and like, you know, it's just fucking sitting in a room and, you know, everyone stinks and you're just like, oh, God, get me out of here. But I do love it. Like, it is it is where the movie really becomes the movie. Um, and, um, but, uh, you know, once you're done with the, once you're picture locked, there's still, like, I mean, we're on a tight schedule. I think we're, like, only two months maybe of, of like, post after that. But it's still, like, now I have to review all the... The VFX and review all the all the you know sound stuff and uh, music and uh, color correct and, uh, and graphics and <laughs> oh god anyway so it's just uh, all important stuff all necessary and like I'm I'm anal I I care a lot so like it's not like I'm just gonna like hand that responsibility off to anyone but nevertheless it's uh, boring <laughs> yeah well, what's something that's like surprised you about like making this movie um. You know, honestly, what surprised me was um, just how much uh, making sketches and short films like prepared me for it. Yeah, I was, I was, I mean, you know, I like I said, I, I mean, this was my first feature that I've ever directed, um, and um, um, and I've directed like you know web series and sketches and music videos and shorts and stuff. So nothing like this, um, and so there's definitely like going into it, I, I had. For real, like panic attacks are like, am I ready? I don't know. What is this? is it something that I? Is there something that'll happen on a movie set that's different than like the other sets? And I'll be like, I don't know. I'm, I've never done this before. And the truth of it was like, uh, you know, like it was just doing the things that I've always do, but just doing it more days, mm-hmm. um, more days, more large scale, like thinking ahead, but not you know, not a cr- crazy amount more. I mean. In, yeah, like, um, if you've ever had to think about continuity over the course of a three-day shoot, well, now you just have to think about it over the course of a month. And so it's um, it's harder, definitely. It's, it's a lot more taxing. But it was I was pleasantly surprised at how much, like, just doing this in smaller forms was, was realistically the preparation for the larger thing. Uh, going forward, would you like to do more uh, film writing or television writing? I'm uh, I'm pretty agnostic. I yeah. try to go where the thing I like the most is, mm-hmm. um, but also like I'm a hypocrite because I need paychecks also. And so <laughs> yeah. like uh, I I what I'll say is I it's I we I do try to operate under the like the one for one for them one for us kind of mold, um, but even on the one for them it needs to be like I need to be able to like be get my head around it in a way that I'm like yeah I I I can. I can add to this. I'm not just like sitting in a room, and that's not to say I have done that, which is why I don't want to do it anymore. Like, <laughs> we're like, you know, you're just you're just putting words on the page for the paycheck because you have to hand something in, and once you hand something in, then they'll be like, here's your money, and now we're gonna go throw it away anyway. And like, so it's it's fine. I'm again, like it it's the life of a working writer. What would you like to be doing uh, next? 
Uh, I don't know, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to figure out right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we're going to wrap up uh, with Great. you uh, giving your thoughts on like a sketch pitch. Okay, cool. Uh Oh, this is a really dumb one. Um, right, I saw great. The Dark Tower yesterday. Okay, I don't know what that is, so you might need to give me... No, a... it, does, it okay. doesn't really matter. But in the movie, it's like there's like a time travel thing, mm-hmm. and um, you can go to different places using like a numerical code. Okay, all right. So they, they tell the guy, like, okay, you remember 18570, mm-hmm. that's, the, that's here. Right. So I was just... It was a very throwaway line in the movie. It's not important at all. Okay, okay. But I was thinking it'd be funny if the code was like... 420 69 mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and then he's like oh that's easy to remember and i go like, oh, why and he's right. like uh, i don't really want to go through this yeah, i don't yeah. want to explain this right. like great it's a joke i don't even think it's a funny joke but yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. 420 mm-hmm. so that's basically the sketch all right well i get it <laughs> yeah do you like notes yeah yeah just thoughts <laughs> okay Either, yeah. all right well um you know uh um i'm afraid that you won't have much more than a first beat. right yeah um i feel like uh the um I wonder if you... I mean, I, I'm all for a stupid sketch. Yeah. But I wonder if you could uh, find a somehow just a a better... Like, 420 and 69, like, I actually think it's... it's they're, fighting, they're fighting areas. Either keep it all sexual or keep it all... Oh, interesting. Okay. Weed-like. Um, and I would just do one or the other. Okay. Um, uh... Maybe you want to do uh, uh, the numerical uh, n- numerical boobs, eight zero zero eight five. Okay. Uh, uh, I'm just brainstorming right yeah. here. Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, I think you could work on work on that sketch if you really want to. <laughs> yeah, I probably won't. But okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's good to just have ideas and write them down, and then mm-hmm. be like, I think I can I can beat that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, the thing is, I've made it so this podcast, mm-hmm. I have to, I have to have an idea every time I record. Well, good. Okay, good. So this is one of those ideas that's mathematically funny, but maybe not, it's mathematically worse. Did you just press a sound effect? Oh no, 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 no. Oh, okay. I want a flush noise. <laughs> yeah, but I'll, I'll, I'll put that in post. Okay, great, good. Um, all right, cool. Uh, anything you want to plug? <laughs> that's oh, that's, it? That's no, nothing. That's it. No more. Uh, it's pretty much it. All right. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm here. If you want to pitch me any more uh, premises. Oh no, that's one pit, one pitch okay. of the all show. Right. All right, great. All right. <laughs> you got the Dark Tower pitch. All right. And uh, maybe if I saw Dark Tower, I'd be like, yes, <laughs> you're getting them. <laughs> Uh, all right. Anything you want to plug? Um, uh, come uh, every Friday night at UCB. Uh, my uh, my improv team, JV, has a show at eleven. Um, and uh, Crazy Ex Girlfriend coming back. Crazy Ex Girlfriend's coming back. In a month or so. Yeah, uh, in a date that I will <laughs> update you with post <laughs> post recording. Uh, yeah, Crazy Ex Girlfriend's coming back, and uh, and most likely to murder. Keep an eye out for it. All right, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to this episode of On Comedy Writing. I want to thank Nick Doss for supplying the sweet tunes, Zachary Glassman for giving us the awesome logo, and Boardwalk Audio for hosting us. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, and like and follow On Comedy Writing on Facebook and Twitter. See you next week. This 
has been a Boardwalk Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit BoardwalkAudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.